Well, my name is Bill Reeser, and I'm the pastor of Encounter. I want to welcome everyone out, as Mandy said, to the greatest place to be on a, on a Friday night. If you're watching online anywhere around the country, uh, we got friends all over the country that tune in. And I want to dedicate tonight's service to a buddy of mine that I grew up with in, in East Harlem. Eddie, if you're watching tonight, uh, uh, this service is for you, man. Uh, so uh, anyway, I'm just so grateful that you're here. Uh, we're going to wrap up. We got a lot to talk about tonight, although I'm going to move pretty quick tonight. I got to get through what I got to get through pretty quick. Uh, so uh, it's not going to be one of, the, one of those long talks. It's actually going to be really, really simple. Uh, we're going to wrap up this series on prayer, talking about how to pray God's Word. Really simple. How to pray God's Word. You can read God's Word, but it's one thing to pray God's Word over your life. How do you do that? Where do I start? How do I do that? How does God speak to me? How do I know where to go? So let's pray, and then we'll get on with the service. Father, we just thank you that, that for tonight, and every time we pray this prayer, that your voice will be the only voice that we hear, and we, when we open up the pages of your book, the book of life, uh, that you would speak to us and you would drown out and silence all those voices, and that you would tell us exactly what you want to tell us. And as we pray the simple prayers that we're going to learn tonight uh, of, of how to pray when we open up this book, I pray that this book would come alive to us. It wouldn't just be a book. It would be you just just coming alive in and through us. And so, Father, I, I pray that your word would not come back void. It would accomplish everything that you intended it to do. And I pray that tonight we would walk out of here encouraged. We would be encouraged. We would be changed. We would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, God, we just pray that you would do a, a big work in each and every one of us tonight. Speak to us where your voice is the only voice that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome back to our prayer series. Uh, you know, if you missed the first three weeks, uh, we opened up with, with, with a talk on never giving up. Just never give up when you pray. And sometimes, you know, what we think is, is a no is a not yet. And the best answers are sometimes God's silence. And then we talked about warfare praying, how to, how to pray when, when you're in a spiritual battle. And then, and then last week we talked about how to pray a prayer of thank you. A prayer of thanks, having an attitude of gratitude. And if you missed any of those talks, uh, you can just go online uh, to, to our website, and I hope you're doing that. We've got a great Facebook page, a website, www.thehopeencounter.org is, is, our, is our webpage. You can look at previous talks and testimonies on there. But tonight we're going to talk about how to pray God's Word over your life. And when we talk about that, we're actually tonight talking about two of the anchors of hope. We have 12 anchors of hope that we talk a lot around here. And tonight we're talking about anchor eight and anchor nine. Anchor eight up on the screen says, allow God's word to become the authority over my life. Second Timothy three says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every, every good work. And the ninth anchor is simply this. Commit a daily prayer life so that my relationship with the Father grows. Commit a 
to a daily prayer life so that my relationship with the Father grows. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. If we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, guess what? You've got to study God's word. You can't just wait for, for, for me to give you a good word or, you, you know, or someone else to give you a good word. You can't get your encounter fix on a Friday night. You've got to dive into this book yourself. There are no shortcuts to being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is part of it because this is a faith-based ministry, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. That's why I use a lot of scriptures when I teach because I figured, I came to the conclusion one day that God's a lot smarter than I am, and he's a lot better things to say than what I can say. So that's why I share a lot of scripture because that scripture can change your life. You listen to me all the time, it'll, it'll just screw you up. Trust me. <laughs> listen to God, Okay. See, no one else, but no one else can study God's word for us. See, our old patterns and ways of living in this world have to be replaced by new ways of living in the kingdom of God. We have to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-guided people that are guided by these kingdom principles found in this book. You see, the lies of this world have to be replaced by the truth of God's word. We got to be able to know how to handle God's word. We got to be able to know what God's truth is as the antidote to every lie that comes across the doorpost of our minds because behind every self-defeating thing that we'll ever do is a lie that we believe and the antidote is the truth that we need to apply and take our thoughts captive to and that's how we have victory but we got to know God's word to do that. You got to study God's word. You got to live out God's word. You got to apply it to your life, okay? Uh, God's word, if left sitting on a shelf, will not transform us. The truth has to be in our hearts, just like going to church doesn't make you more of a Christian. Just like hanging out in a garage doesn't make you more of a car. Okay? You have to apply this to yourself personally. It's not enough to think about Scripture. We have to think scripturally. We have to think. Wisdom is always seeing life from God's perspective. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is always seeing life from God's perspective. And so if I could get this next page, I would be good. See, when we start seeing life from God's perspective and start putting into practice what we're learning, life just has a way of coming into focus. We learn far more by doing, believe it or not, than by hearing. And the problem with, I think, a lot of us, including myself, is we think that we're going to change just by hearing a lot of good things. See, people retain about 10% of what they hear, 20% of what they see, but you retain 90% of what you do. So if you actually read it, believe it, receive it, and go live it out, you'll remember it more. You don't, I mean, I can't even remember what I said last week or the week before. But if I say something that will just strike you, you'll remember that. So, so listen, the, the book in, of James says this, in James 1, 25, says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law 
that gives freedom, there's freedom in this book, that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all he does. So when someone comes to see me, all the, the bottom dropped out. This dropped out. I know that for the most part, 99% of the people that do that, they're not in this book. They're not applying what's in this book. And I can't fix or do something that only God in his word can do. See, if our lives are going to be transformed, our time spending God's word has to spill over into our daily activities. See, nowhere is this more emphasized than in the Jewish confession of faith known as the, the Shema. It's an Old Testament practice. It's the Hebrew word for hear, and it means to hear and obey. So the Shema recorded in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this. Maybe you've heard this before. Let me refresh your memory with this Old Testament scripture. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. In other words, don't be ashamed to talk about them to your children. Not just once, not just twice, but all the time, every day. Talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Some of you are wondering, what happened to my household? And I want to ask you, did, did we live by this? Did we do this? And many of us, it's okay for those of us, we got a late start in doing this. We never did this well. And I want to just say it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start doing this. It's never too late to gain back ground that the enemy has stolen. It's never too late to take what's rightfully yours as a kingdom person, as someone who has authority. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. But I want to tell you today, that the first step to getting back to the basics is that God's word has to be read for yourself. You have to study it for yourself. You have to apply it to your life. And when you do that, you've got to share it with your kids, your family, your neighborhood. You've got to share it with the world. See, you're never going to experience victory in life until you start learning how to apply and pray God's word over your life in any and all situations. And it's going to take a lot of things. It's going to take studying, it's going to take meditation. Now, I'm not talking about some, you know, some, you know, yoga stuff here. I'm talking about meditating on God's word. And a lot of you are thinking about some other things, but most of you know how to meditate. If you worry, you know how to meditate. Because you take a bad thought and you think about that thought over and over and over, and that's just negative meditation. Now, biblical meditation is not, hmm, it's not that. It's when you take a Bible verse or something from this book, God's truth, and you think about that over and over and over. You see, listening to God for answers and directions is another form of meditation. Looking at Scripture, praying that Scripture, 
waiting on God to speak to you about that. We're going to talk about how to do that with, with three simple prayers tonight. I'm going to teach you three simple prayers that have helped me out tremendously studying this book. But you've got to slow down enough to hear the voice of God because the busyness in our lives stifles our growth. And for many of you here tonight, your busyness is your addiction. It's called captivity by activity. And some of us never slow down enough to even read a psalm like Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. You're running because if you slow down long enough, you can't handle the noise when you lay your head down on the pillow. You've got to be busy. Did you ever stop to think that the enemy will lead you to doing good things that keep you so busy that you, need, you don't even have time to hear the voice of God? See, another form of meditation is memorization. See, having God's word in your heart is a powerful deterrent to relapse, to spiritual growth, to everything good that God wants to do in your life. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't, I don't have good memorization skills. I don't. But it's amazing how you will remember important things to you. If I smack you on the side of your head today, you're going to remember that. <laughs> you're not going to forget that. And you know, God's word is the same way. It's a good smack on the side of the head. It encourages us. It builds us up. Look what David says in Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That takes a lot of meditation. That takes a lot of memorization. That takes a lot of time just opening up God's word and just meditating, waiting on God to speak to you. So how do you hide God's word in your heart? You memorize it. You wait on God. You ask God to help you with that. And as you think about God's word, memorize key passages, it's going to help you. It's going to help you from falling back. It's going to help you from backsliding. It's going to help you from sinning. It's going to help you from relapsing because God's going to bring those scriptures to your mind just at the right time. See, hiding God's word in your heart also means agreeing with God about his word and adjusting your life, hello, your will, your actions, and your motive to what his word says. And that's where the rubber meets the road for a lot of you. See, a lot of you read God's word to suit your own desires. You're in 90% with God, but that 10% that no one else knows about, you want to keep it a secret, and you don't like those scriptures that talk to you about that. Or some of you are 99% in, and it's just that 1% that you know when you read that scripture, you're not all in. And it's sad, but I've shared this scripture a lot. Jeremiah 6.16 says, this is what the Lord said. This is what he says. This is God speaking. Stand at the crossroads of your life and look around. Always ask for the ancient path. What's the ancient path? This book. What's written in this book. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it and actually do it. And you will find rest for your soul. You will find rest for your soul. It's one of the saddest scriptures, saddest statements in the Bible. But you said, we will not walk in it. But you said, we will not walk in it. Hiding God's word in your heart is agreeing with Jesus. When he says in John 14, 21, 23, and 24, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. 
can't say I just love Jesus and do what you want to do and just live a life apart from him. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So Jesus actually defines what loving him is all about. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll follow my commands. And we love him based on what he did for us out of gratitude. We love him because we're saved by grace. We're forgiven by grace, not by works so no one can boast. We obey him out of the gratitude that our sins are forgiven. We're going to inherit an eternity with God forever in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit with power living inside of us. We have God's word to guide us. We have God praying for us each and every day. And out of gratitude, we can't earn our salvation or better our salvation, but just to say thanks will follow you in everything that you say I should do. We'll make this book the authority over my life. You see, when you open up this book, you need to understand this is no ordinary book. This is not just a book. A lot of people look at it as a book. They'll argue with you. I'm not sure if that's true, what's in there. I'm not sure if it's real. I'm not sure if it's valid. I'm just not sure. And this is not just a combination of 66 books which it is, literally. But this book is alive. This book is active. This book is, is a living organism that's able to penetrate into the deepest core of who you are and change you. Look what it says in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So that's one way of looking at this book. Here's another way. Look what it says in, in the book of John, in John 1, 1 through 5, talking about Jesus. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, ever extinguish it. In the beginning, the word existed. The word was God, was with God, and the word was God. So not only is this a book, it's actually God himself. It's Jesus. And one of the ways that this book has transformed my life is that when I'm alone and I've got no one else around me, and one of the points of prayer that we talk around here at Encounter is to deepen our relationship with the Father. It's to draw close. That's the purpose of prayer, to draw closer to him and so if the word was with God and the word is God, and when I turn the pages of this book, I actually picture in my mind turning the pages uh, just like the hairs of Jesus. And every page is like, is like a picture of Jesus that I see. Because as I touch every page, it's like touching every single hair on the head of Jesus. 
That's how real this book is to me. That's how personal this book should become to you. And that's how personal God wants to be with you. That's how much he loves you. He just, you know, I had a friend of mine back home and I love him so much. And he, he just, he's just amazed by the transformation in my life that I've had because of a relationship. I always, told, I always tell him it's because of a relationship I have with Jesus Christ. He says, and, and he says, I don't know how you know stuff in the Bible. I said, I, I, said, I read it all the time. I, I, I said, you should try it for yourself. And so I got him a Bible. I called him like a month later. I said, hey, buddy, have you read the Bible? Oh, yeah, I did it a couple of weeks ago. Got through the whole thing. You know, it's got like a two and a half hour drive, you know, five hour commute every day. I said, no, that's not what I was talking about. I wanted him to read it, and I want you to read it like I'm sharing with you. When you look at these pages, these are not pages, they're not paper, it's God Himself. It's like brushing the hair away from the lover of your soul so that you can see him clearly and you can hear him clearly. So I hope that changes the way you open up this book and you read this book and you study this book. And I just want to give you three prayers to pray whenever you read Scripture. Whenever you do, if you stop and you pray these three prayers over everything that you'll ever read in Scripture, over every lesson that we'll ever give you in an encounter study, I guarantee you it'll transform your life. Are you ready? If you got some fill-in-the-blanks, everyone got a fill-in-the-blank when you came in? Very good. Here they are. Lord, what are you saying? Lord, what are you saying? You ready? Lord, when you open up a passage, Lord, what are you saying? Lord, what are you saying to me? That's your second prayer. Lord, what are you saying? It's your first prayer. And you just stop. It'll help you understand Scripture. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Jesus said, better for you that I go. If I don't go, he won't come. When he comes, he will guide you into truth. He will be your interpreter. He will tell you what this book says. He will make it plain to you. But you have to pray, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying in that scripture? And wait. And it's best to have a lot of paper, to have a pen. It's a great time to journal. And then after you're done, Lord, help me. Now that you help me understood, now that, you, now that I understand what that scripture is saying, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? What does that mean to me? And wait. Journal it. Write it down. And here's your third one. This is important. Lord, how can I apply this to my life? How can I live this out in my life? How can I apply this to my life? So, here's, I want to do a little exercise with you. I want to do that with you. And so this is, this is actually the way I, I study the Bible. And I look at it, uh, and I look at it where I pray those three prayers, and God reveals things to me. And I look for a lot of scriptures that have, you've heard me say this before, 
And if you're new to studying the Bible, or if you've never read the Bible before, this is a great way to study the Bible. And this passage that I'm going to share with you is a great example of that. And some of the other passages I'm going to share with you before the night is done. And you always look for a statement in the Bible. Like in this passage, it starts out with a statement. And then after the statement, it gives us directions of what we should do. Lord, what are you saying to me? What should I do? How can I apply this to my life? And what I love about a lot of passages, like this passage that I'm going to share with you, is that it gives you what God will do. As a result, if you actually do what it says to do. It's really simple. It's not that hard. You eat the food, you lose the weight. Okay? There you go. Okay? And so this passage is in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. If you have your Bibles, uh, you, can turn it, you can turn there to 2 Peter, go to, to the New Testament. It's going to be up on the screens. You can look up on the screens. And this is a great example. Now, now, when I was looking at this and I was praying those three prayers, when I first started praying those prayers and I looked at this passage several years ago, God showed me 15 things in this short little passage, verses 3 through 11, 15 things that will make our walk with God, our recovery with God, firm and secure, with two great promises, if we actually do them. Think about that. Just in this short little passage I'm going to share with you. 15 things that will make our walk with God firm and secure with two great promises and six consequences if we don't do them. And that's important to know. And so 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11 says this. I'm going to read the entire thing and then I'm going to break it down by those three prayers. And I'm going to show you what God revealed to me that I want to reveal to you. And here's what the entire passage says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let me say that again real quick. His divine power, the divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through, the, through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and the goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control and the self-control perseverance and the perseverance godliness and the godliness brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. Notice that word knowledge keeps on popping up. In your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling your walk, your recovery, your spiritual growth, and election, sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. You will never relapse. You will never fall. That's in the Bible. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you ready? That's, that's the scripture. Those are the 15 things 
the two great promises and the six consequences. Let's break, let's break the scripture down. So when I start out and I look at that passage and it starts out with his divine power. That's where it starts out. His divine power. I just stop. Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? And God took me to Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. His divine power. The Apostle Paul said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We're talking about divine power. And the Apostle Paul was praying that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead It's not a reality. The reality is that he, that power lives in us and is available to us, but the prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying, he says, I pray that your heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to it. Because fact of the matter is, most of you don't believe you have that power. Fact of the matter is, most of you don't know how to tap into that power. Fact of it is, most of you just, don't, just flat out don't believe that power is available today when it lives inside of you. And so this whole passage in Peter starts out with one big statement, his divine power. So when I say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? And how can I apply that to my life? And God's saying, it's right there. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. I am in you through my Holy Spirit. And the second thing that passage says, that through the knowledge of him. This is so important. Because the verse before Ephesians in verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You know, there's no, nothing you can pray better. There's no more important prayer that you can pray than for a prayer of wisdom and revelation. You know, you go back to the Old Testament, go back to this King Solomon, and God showed up to Solomon one day and said, okay, just ask. it's the only time in the Bible God showed up and said, ask me for anything you want. Anything you want. What would you do if God showed up on your doorstep and said, said hey, uh, guess what? Uh, I'm in a giving mood. Just ask me for anything you want. You'll have it right now. What would you ask him for? What would you ask him for? Would you ask him for the the quick six pick on the lotto, California? <laughs> what would you ask him for? Well, Solomon said, I pray for wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge and understanding. And God not only gave him that, but he gave him more because he didn't ask for other things, but he gave it to him anyway because he didn't ask him for those things. You see, knowledge is so important. I'm going to be talking about this in a few minutes as well. But the Apostle Paul thought it'd be important that he kept praying and asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why is knowledge important? So that you may know him better. The more you know God, the more you know about him, the better you're going to be. The better your life's going to be. So it goes on. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. What are those? We talked about that when we launched the prayer series. God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? How can I apply this to my life? 2 Corinthians 1.20, I love this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 
For no matter how many God has made, they are yes in Christ. They're all yes and amen to those that are in Christ. So there are thousands of promises. In the book of Deuteronomy, God says he's faithful to a thousand generations. We're part of that blessing of God's faithfulness to a thousand generations where God keeps his word. And you have to pray, and the question is, do you know, and the only person that can guide you to the right promises for your life is the Holy Spirit. And the more time you spend in God's word praying like this, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me, and how can I apply this to my life? God will direct you to the promises that he wants you to go to. Now, this is a big one. The next one talks about escaping. It says this. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So what is that? Okay? Escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Participate in the divine nature. So what, is, what does it mean to participate in the divine nature? See, you have a divine nature. Okay? You have a dead nature and you have a divine nature. You have an old nature you have a new nature. You have a self nature and you have a spirit nature. You're either, you're either operating in the flesh, which is your old nature, operating under the law, or you're filled with the spirit under grace, crucifying your old nature, which was crucified when you gave your life to Christ. One of the things that God did for you was he crucified your old nature. I no longer live, but Christ crucified lives in me. And the question is, which nature are you operating in? And it talks about participating in the divine nature, your new nature. See, most of us, we participate in our old nature because we're used to our old nature. Our old nature is very familiar. Our old nature always knocks on the door. It says, hey, remember me? Our old nature can come back by triggers. Things that messed us up in the past. But we have the ability to partake in the divine nature and the new nature. I don't have time to get into all the scriptures, but I would tell you that, that in order for you to fully understand this, you should, you should study and read every day Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 every day. And you'll understand the difference between your old nature and your new nature. I'm just going to read how Paul wraps it all up in chapter 8, where he says this, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. He's talking about two natures there. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. See, to overcome the sinful self, old nature, you have to live by the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what the nature desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the Spirit, the sinful man, is death. 
But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws. Nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, here it is, resurrection power, to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. You're dead. That's it. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. It's really that simple. It's not that complicated. Live by the Spirit. You're on the grace. You overcome your sinful nature and you do what God wants you to do, and that pleases God, and you'll have peace, and you'll have victory in your life, okay? But if you live by the sinful nature, in other words, if you, if you don't allow the Spirit to transform you, if you're always just trying not to do something, whatever you resist is always going to persist. Whatever you try not to do, you're always going to do. If I put a cookie in front of me right now, and I say, I'm not going to eat it, not going to eat it, not going to eat it, I'm going to eat it, just like that. But if I just switch the channel, just like that, you give me a Twinkie instead, I'm all right. <laughs> That's probably not a good analogy. But the... <laughs> and then it says this, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It says, it says, make every effort. How do you make every effort? God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? So, you want, so, so God says, well, that's real simple. It's, it's, it's what I've called you and everyone I've encountered to do. Work the encounter program. Apply the 12 anchors to your life. Go to group and share when you go to group. You got to share when you go to group. You got to get, when we launch the week of July 23rd, encounter studies, we're launching encounter studies the week of July 23rd, July 23rd, week, uh, we're launching encounter study. You got to do an encounter study. 12 week intense study applying the 12 anchors of hope to your life. You got to get real. You got to build a support team around you. You got to get in God's word. You got to pray every day and you got to live this stuff out. That's what it means to add to your faith. That's what it's talking about there. Add to your faith. What do you add to your faith? The next scripture, next verse in, that, in, in 1 Peter says this, goodness. What does it mean by goodness? So, I'm, so as I, I looked at that word goodness, God says, don't just do good things, but think good things, because you'll never do good things until you start thinking good things, because the battlefield starts in the mind. So as I'm praying God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? How can I apply that to my life? God took me to Philippians. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. You know, we think about the most awful things because we have a stinking way of thinking, don't we? And say, watch this. Don't just think about it. Think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And here it is, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice again the, the, the formula, a statement, 
an action item, and a promise. Statement, something we should do, and then a promise from God. What's the promise? The promise is that the God of peace will be with you. And then here's this thing about knowledge again. It comes up several times in this scripture, knowledge. You know why that's in there? Because God said, my people die for a lack of it. And you know, the last thing that Peter says when he wraps up his two chapters, and I love this, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't grow without grace and knowledge. That's the formula. Grace and knowledge. Because God wants you to know about him. God wants to give you the tools for you personally to overcome this thing called life. And then it says self-control as we work through the scriptures. What does that mean, Lord, self-control? It's real simple. Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me and how can I apply this to my life? Well, here's the deal. You see, you're never in control of your life until the Spirit has control of you. If the Spirit doesn't have control of you and is leading you, you're out of control. You're never in control. And you'll never be in control until the one who loves you lives in you and has control over you. That's when you're in control. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind to control you, to lead you, to guide you, to guide you into truth, to give you peace, to, to bring thoughts to you that you need just at the right time, to bring scriptures to help you take your thoughts captive when the fiery darts of the enemy come at you, when all the terrible deeds come at you, depression, delays, doubts, all those things. You need the Spirit to control you. Otherwise, you'll be out of control. And then it says perseverance. Oh, really? Perseverance? Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? How can I apply this to my life? God took me to James. And here's what the book of James says. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, here's this thing about knowledge and wisdom again. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Did you catch that? that God will give you all the wisdom you'll need generously without finding fault. He'll give you wisdom. I'm telling, folks, I'm as dumb as a doornail. But when it comes to the things of God, okay, I don't, I don't think I'm smart, but God makes me wise for personal situations because he gives me biblical insight that I would never have in my own in my own capability, my own mind, my own intellect, in my own training for anything, God will give me the right thing to say at the right time every single time when I let the Spirit have control of my life. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, 
unstable in all he does. Blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So, so if you're in a trial right now, instead of woe is me, you may want to start saying yay God and consider it pure joy because God's doing a work in you and God's trying to make you mature. God's trying to make you complete. God's trying to give you wisdom. And maybe the thing that you need to get out of the thing that you're in is some biblical insight that can only come from the throne room of God straight from this book that God wants to give to you personally that no man can give you, but it's only going to come in your quiet time with God. Because God will give generously to all who ask. God will give generously to those who ask. On top of that, he says, add godliness, brotherly kindness, love, all these things. What is that, brotherly kindness? What is love? So when I, when I look at that, I could share all the scriptures. God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? How can I apply that to my life? And God's saying, I love you, Bill. I've always loved you. And I just want you to teach my people that I love them no matter who they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter what's been done to them, no matter what tragedy that they've gone through, that I still love them. Maybe you're watching online right now. Maybe the only thing, you haven't heard a word I, I've said tonight, but listen to this very carefully. God has not forgotten you. God still loves you. He's never stopped loving you. And all we're doing here in Encounter is learning that God loves us. We're learning how to love him back. We're learning how to love ourselves in healthier ways. And we're learning how to love others in healthier ways. And when we do that, that's when life takes off. And that's why we combine all the things that we combine at Encounter of discipleship, recovery, evangelism, identity, community, all into one. And it's a beautiful thing. And he says, the last thing he says, possess all of those things in increasing measure. In other words, don't be satisfied with any of that wherever you are. Add to it. Add more knowledge. Add more love. Add more self-control. Add all of it. Take it to the next level. You're either running to the cross or you're either running from the cross. You're not idle because an idle mind is a devil's workshop. You've got to always be in that state of wanting more, being hungry. Always making sure your calling and election is sure. And if you do these things, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. If you do these things, here's your two promises if you're writing them down. Here they are. Are you ready? One, you will never fall. You will never fall. And the second one is you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're going to receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter says, if you don't do these things, if you're, looking, if you're following on the whole scripture, he says, one, you'll be ineffective. Two, you're going to be unproductive. Three, you'll be nearsighted. You'll be blind. 
You'll be blind to what's going on around you. Four, you'll be blind. Five, you'll have no concept of who Jesus Christ is and what he means to you. Six, you'll forget what Christ did for you on the cross. In other words, you may misuse, abuse, and even forget what grace means to you. If you don't possess these things in increasing measure. Now, I know what some of you are thinking as we, as we bring this thing to a close. Some of you are thinking, well, I thought Christianity was all grace and not works. I thought Christianity and following Jesus was you're saved by grace and not works so no one can boast. It's just as Jesus is so good and he just wants to trust in the finished work of Christ and he'll do it all for you. Well, there's a measure of truth to all of that, and that's true. And there are other religions out there will tell you, you have to do this to earn God's love. You have to do this to earn eternity. Well, there's nothing you can do to earn eternity in God's love. Those things are given by grace and not anything that you can do or earn them. But because you don't work for those things, out of, out of gratitude, we should love God back by following him in everything that we say and do. And the last thing I just want to close with, and I don't really have time to go through all of it, but I left a, 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 I wrote a, a little thing that, that I got from, uh, I didn't write it, but I got it from Freedom in Christ uh, Ministries from Neil Anderson. And he talks about this thing, and I, added, I enhanced it just a, a little bit. And this is, it's this whole concept of God's sovereignty versus our responsibility. And what that simply means is there are things that only God can do. Only God can do these things. And so I put a list together. They're on the table. You can get them on your way out. And there's this thing called our responsibility. Let me run through them real quick for you. So God's sovereignty means here's the only things God can do. Only God can save, heal, transform, forgive us, give us eternal life, make us new creations, give us authority. He seats us... He seats us with Christ, gives us the mind of Christ, gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us faith, gives us his word, his power, his peace, and gives us a new heart. Those are just some of the things that he gives us. But our responsibility is we have to believe. He's not going to believe for us. Our responsibility is to believe and receive God's invitation of love by accepting Jesus and what he did for us, by turning from our sins and turning to Jesus. Our responsibility is to trust, forgive, our responsibility is to think great thoughts. Our responsibility is to resist the devil. Our responsibility is put on the armor, renew our minds, correctly handle the, the Bible, the word of truth, obey the truth, offer our bodies a living sacrifice, die daily, activate our faith, and be led by the Holy Spirit. That's our responsibility. And when we do those things, we live the abundant life that he died for. And I want you to live that abundant life that he died for. I want you to live that life. And so we're going we're to worship. I want you to stand. I want to lead you in a prayer before we do. And uh, maybe you're watching online and somewhere around the country, and maybe you're here for the first time, and, and you've never really, really trusted Jesus. You've never really, really put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
You've never really studied God's Word. You know, you can't study God's Word because the book is difficult until the Holy Spirit who lives in you will make it plain, and the only way the Holy Spirit can live in you is if you open up your heart to Jesus. And you open up your heart to Jesus by realizing that you're a sinner. And you need his grace. You need his forgiveness. And some of you think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. The Bible says, listen, if you've, made one, if you've committed one sin in your life, that puts you in the league with all the other most valuable sinners. Matter of fact, you can go through an entire life without sinning, and because we're born into sin, we still have to, we still have to, we still have a problem with sin because we're born into it. And we need someone to take away, not only take away our sins, forgive us our sins, but Jesus did more than take away our sins and forgive us our sins. He became our sins. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we can represent God. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can live forever. And if you've never turned from your sins, repented of your sins, and turned to Jesus Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that right now. Just pray this prayer with me, maybe as a prayer for the first time or a prayer of recommitment. Father, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my family, myself. God, I can't even, I can't even live up to my own standards, never mind your standards. I've let you down. I've let others down. And Father, I turn from those sins and I turn to you. And I trust in you and you alone for the forgiveness of my sins. And Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Right now, in this prayer, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and you defeated death and sin from, from me. And I receive that into my life tonight. I accept your gift of grace. I accept your gift of the Holy Spirit that now lives in me. And I pray for that resurrection power to be activated in me. So that my calling and election, recovery and spiritual growth will be sure. so that I can live a life to please you because you took and still take great delight in me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.